audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. As I told you, um, some of the changing that Jesus does in our outlook or our view, our vision, however you want to um, perceive that, uh, happens very quickly. And some of these take a little time. Um, and what I want us to, to realize today as we look to the words of Paul speaking truth, writing truth to the church in Ephesus, is, is this. We live in a natural world. And what I mean by that is a lot of this world we can see, we can touch, um, we can taste, which I'm so glad for, ribeye steak, cooked medium, oh, yeah, all right, um, we, we, can, we can see, we can smell, all of these different things. But there is another world taking place around us as well that is not natural. The word for it is supernatural, it's beyond those senses. I listened to, um, it wasn't really a sermon, it was more of a lecture. This will tell you how long ago it was, um, and I don't have it anymore. I gave it to somebody and it never came back. So it's gone, gone with the wind, all right? And, um, but to tell you how long ago it was, it was actually on a cassette tape, okay? Now, not eight track, I'm not that old, all right? Um, but it was on a cassette tape, and this guy, uh, he had so many letters behind his name of different PhDs and stuff. I mean, it was crazy. But this guy, very, very, very intelligent. And he had a theory. And his theory involved the dimensional world around us. I mean, we live kind of in a 3D world. Some people will say there's another dimension of time involved in that. All right? Height, depth, width, the things you can see, you can touch, you know, that, that 3D world. He said... Now, when our longest, our longest, ancient, most ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve, when they were made to leave the garden by God, he said there was more loss there than we realized. They, they lost, obviously, access to the tree of life. They lost a, a closeness with God that we as human beings probably will not experience again until heaven. Right? Now don't get me wrong, we have God living within us and the Holy Spirit if, you are, if you're clothed with Christ, but we're talking about a, a physical face-to-face like sea type of relationship that they experienced. They walked with God. All right? Here's the thing. God is spirit. I'm not saying that God cannot take the form of man, and Jesus Christ himself became man and God, still is man and God, but we're talking about God the Father here. God is spirit. You've got Adam and Eve interacting with him, and what this man believed is when Adam and Eve left the garden, they lost the ability to see a dimension, and that dimension is the spiritual world around us that still exists Right here to this day. Now, I don't, I don't know about that theory. I'm not sure. And he had all kinds of evidence that he had to, to back this up. I'm not sure about that. But I am sure that a world exists around us that most of the world is oblivious to. The Bible makes this very, very clear. Why don't you turn, as I said, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read a couple of verses there, beginning with verse 10. This is what it says. Paul writing, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. Catch that stand. We're going to see a lot about standing, okay? Standing firm today. 
so that you might be stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he says to stand firm. We're going to see that several times today. More about that later. And then he goes on to say that we are in a struggle. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know what that word struggle originally meant in the Greek? It meant a wrestling match. That's what it, that was what it was used for. We got some wrestlers here, those who wrestled back in high school, and, and some still might do it. Um, and, but it could also be used more in a more general way of just a kind of a fight in general as well. Now, as we read those, two, those couple of verses there, two or three verses, Let's, let's understand something because it's not the only time in Ephesians that Paul will talk about spiritual forces or rulers or authorities. And from what we see in other parts of Ephesians, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what he's talking about here and the relationship of those forces to God and the opposition that takes place. And there's something we need to be very aware of. Turn to chapter 1 of Ephesians and look at verse 21. Verse 21, we're jumping right in the middle of a statement here, and it's about Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to throw Jesus right on the front of it. It says this, Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So the thing we need to understand about these powers of darkness, these rulers, this authority of wickedness, and all of these things is this, Jesus stands in a place of dominion over all of that and it's not even close he has the power and the ultimate authority so so that's something to keep in mind now turn over to chapter 3 verse 10 and we get another hint about this okay this is this is talking about we're, we're kind of jumping right in the middle things here just again um, and it's talking about how how the message of the gospel and we'll talk a lot about that today the good news of Jesus Christ came to the Gentile world and, and this is what he's saying in verse 10 this happens so that the manifold wisdom of God might be known made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places Okay, we saw that phrase being used in chapter 6. We see it here. We see it multiple times in Ephesians. And our mind, typically when we hear a phrase like that, heavenly places, our mind, it's just where we're, kind of how we're wired. We go to, like our mind goes to heaven. Like an age to come. Guys, this is not referring to heaven. It's talking about something in the here and in the now. And it's talking about evil being there as well. Guys, evil will not exist in heaven. We, we understand that? So we get a little bit more of a, of a hint about this. This is not, these heavenly places is not some far off galaxy place, spiritual realm that's not, that's like, woo, like buku ages away. That's not what this is getting at. Look at chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. And we get another hint about this, these heavenly places thing. This is a good one to underline in your Bible, by the way. This is a great passage out of Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, do you see future tense there in any of that? I see past. I see raised us up, placed us there. That's something that we have to understand about this passage, guys. And when we're talking about heavenly places in Christ Jesus, it is here and it is now. And it's the spiritual realm that exists around us as I'm speaking to you right now. It's probably more real than the physical world that we can see. And it is all around us. Kind of a nerd. Some of you know this. I like, I like the Marvel characters. I do. I even like some of the comic book stuff. Not all of it. Some of it's just ugh. But Marvel, they had a character that they, that they, they brought up back in, I think, in the early 70s. And the, the name of this character was Constantine. Now, I'm not talking about the, the Roman emperor or anything like that. I'm talking about, talking about Constantine and, and this, this super anti-superhero, because he was really weird, all right? He, he like, battled demons. He could see them, and, and he, he could battle them, okay? And he fought with them. And, and, and to be honest with you, there are parts of that comic book's nature that more real than some of the readers realize. There is a spiritual world, but here's the thing. I'm not sure the weapons that we use in this warfare are quite like the weapons of Constantine. It's not like water guns filled with holy water or anything like that. Or, or shotgun shells with little mini crosses in them instead of regular shot. I mean, if you've seen the movie Constantine, it kind of gets out there just a little bit. But understand something. There is a spiritual war taking place. And we do have armor as well as a weapon that no spirit of darkness can withstand. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Talk about gearing up. Clothing ourselves for battle. Understand something before we get rolling anywhere else today, guys. If you are clothed with Jesus Christ, something we witnessed just a little bit ago with Jack, if you are clothed with Christ, you have by the nature of that decision, enlisted in God's kingdom and his army. Young man, young woman, middle-aged man, woman, seasoned man, seasoned woman, we're all soldiers in the army of our God. Paul is writing, not only, he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, he wrote the letter to the Philippian church, he also wrote uh, a letter to um, the church in Colossae, and he wrote all of these letters from prison, I also wrote Philemon from prison. So, this is a little bit different, this was his first stint in prison, all right, in a Roman prison, it was a little bit better than his second one around that would end in, in his execution. Um, but, but in this one, he was kind of under a house arrest type of situation, and he was literally chained to a Roman soldier, okay? Now, you know how, how Paul would see that? He would see that as a captive audience, all right? 
That's an old preacher joke. I know, it's kind of anyway. But, all right. So, he's here telling, he's here writing this letter as he's chained to a Roman soldier. So, as he's talking about armor, he has, at least on some level, a visual depiction of it standing right before him. So, let's dive into this armor of God. Guys, understand something. This armor of God is not just something we look at when we're in junior camp, when we are kids, or VBS, or Sunday school when we're little. This is adult talk and let us not forget it so let's jump into it we're going to begin with verse 13 that's what Paul writes he writes therefore take up the full armor of God because we're in a battle take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day resist in the Greek means more like stand there's that word again Having done everything to stand firm. And then what do you see again? Stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. Now we'll save the rest of verse 17 for a little while, okay? Something about this standing. We see it again and again in this passage. Paul, in a short passage of scripture, uses this Greek word multiple times. Now think about this when you are thinking in terms of the most powerful army in the world, the physical world at that time, the Roman army. That Roman army was powerful, not because of the individual soldiers within it, but because those individual soldiers made a unit, made a group. The Roman army was built upon the backs of the centurions. It's one of the main reasons why this power, this army was so powerful, because there was a unity there. They did not fight alone. Paul does not say here in this spiritual battle, stand alone, does he? No, stand firm. We're in this together and that's something that we need to remember from the very beginning and then he gets into the armor he says gird your loins and that sounds a little strange does it not matter of fact the NIV kind of went a little different I think the NIV says is that the NIV says the belt of truth the belt of truth um that's not exactly the best depiction of what this piece of Roman armor was Okay, because a belt, you think of a belt of something strapped around the waist that maybe holds the sword, holds some several different things. This, this wasn't that. This was not a belt. This was actually a leather apron worn underneath the armor. Okay? And it would cover about mid, middling of the lower abdomen. All right, And it was there for vital protection of the lower abdomen and the rest of that part of the body. The thing about it being an apron, I know it sounds strange to us guys because we're walking around in things with legs in them, but, but it allowed for an incredible ease, freedom of movement as they were traveling, as they were fighting, but it offered a tremendous amount of protection. So he says, take this, put this leather apron, if you will, put this on, and then he goes from the Roman army to his you know, just the picture he's painting here of this. The belt, gird your loins with truth. With truth. So part of the armor of the soldier in God's army is truth. And I know where your mind might go immediately because Jesus is truth, okay? 
The gospel is truth. And that's where we might go immediately thinking about gird ourselves with the gospel. We're going to see that later. What this, by the context, it seems more likely this is referring to the honor and the integrity of the believer. Guys, we, it's so obvious, we live in an incredibly dishonest world. How many times do we get lied to every day? In the midst of a world like that, are we lights of truth? Are we honest? Are we men and women of integrity? Are we the same no matter where we are? When people speak of you, do they speak of someone who always speaks the truth? You know when you get it from them, you can take them at their word. Let me tell you something, guys. People who are known for this are not easily slandered because people won't take them seriously. Wait a second. That, she's an honest gal. That just What you're telling me just doesn't make sense to me at all. So when it comes to armor and protection, arm ourselves. Well, I got to be careful about that because we're going to get to the offensive side of this later, all right? Defensively speaking, put on truth. So let's move on from there. So we go from that leather apron to the chest, the breastplate, all right? So where is he? I mean, he goes for it very, very quickly here. Um, he goes on and says, having put on, verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The Roman breastplate was known for being not only strong, but also light. Um, as we will see more of here in a little bit, the Roman army was known for their weight. They traveled very, very well. And if you're going to travel well and travel fast, you can't be burdened with something that is heavy. It was light and it was strong. It was said that this breastplate could take a shot from, an, from a bow, an arrow from a bow at 20 paces, and it would merely put a scratch on the front of it, if at all. Incredibly strong, incredibly light. So Paul goes from that picture and he says this, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. Let's understand something about righteousness in the life of the believer. Okay? Because righteousness is being in a right standing with God. Righteousness is on a level being God-like because God is righteous. And there's two things about righteousness in the life of every believer. First one is this, that the righteousness that is freely given through Jesus Christ. We talk about this all the time. There's a reason for it because there are times when life gets us down and we feel about this big and we need to understand the way in which God sees us even in those moments. If you are clothed with Christ when God sees you, who does he see? He sees Jesus in all of his righteousness. And that is a gift, an incredible gift. But that's not all of righteousness when it comes to the believer. The righteousness also that must be there is the righteousness that comes from following Christ, personal conduct. We have to ask ourselves this question quite often. Am I trying to live out what God sees when he sees me? Am I trying to live a righteous life? life 
Let me tell you something. The person striving to live a righteous life, I should say, just to make sure I'm not, you're not going to misunderstand me. The believer in Jesus Christ trying to live a righteous life is a hard target for any evil spirit, any demon. They're slippery. It's like, they don't even want to do what's wrong. They're trying to do what's right. I can't get a hold of them. I just can't. just can't do it. And it is protection for the people in the Lord and the soldiers of his army. So we've got, we've got this, this leather apron thing that kind of does some protecting. You've got this, this breastplate that does a lot of protecting. We're talking about truth. We're talking about righteousness. And then he moves on to another part of the body. Shod your feet. All right, look at verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Now, I know this sounds a little strange. Um, the girls getting ready for school in the morning. Um, I don't ask them, have you shod your feet yet? <laughs> I've never asked that question in my life. Now, I have say, have you put your shoes on yet? I don't even know where they're at, Dad. Oh, the bus is going to be here in two minutes. All right, so anyway, never happens, does it? Never. So anyway, but, but that's what we're talking about. So let's look at this part of, of the Roman attire of the Roman soldier. This is a little bit what they look like. They were kind of a half boot. We wouldn't call them a boot if we saw them today, right? Um, but that, that is what they would have called them. Um, it had a very, very strong sole. Okay, and then kind of open leather work on the top of it. Also on that sole, it was studded with sharp nails for a firm grip. Okay, that's, that's what made this up. It was designed for mobility, moving fast. The Roman army, understand folks, this, this arm, I mean, most powerful army in the world. And this army was known for their ability to march great distances in a short period of time. Had a lot to do with those things they were wearing on their feet. He tells us in verse 15, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When a soldier put those Shoe boots, sandals, whatever you want to call them, on. He was putting them on for one purpose. And that purpose was this, to get to where the battle was going to take place. Preparing for war. A question I need to ask myself, and every follower of Jesus needs to ask him or herself, is this. Where does the gospel take us? Let's define something very quickly. The gospel. The gospel is this fact. Jesus came into this world as God and man. He lived the perfectly righteous life. And his reward for that was dying on a cross for you and for me. He was buried and he came out of that tomb. He conquered death. And the power from that is the only thing that will put us in the right standing before God and secure heaven for us forever. That's the gospel. The gospel is the only hope for this world. Where is the gospel taking you? Where is the gospel taking me on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis basis 
Um, there's something about feet and gospel somewhere else. Why don't you turn over to Romans chapter 10. Step, don't, don't, leave, don't leave Ephesians completely. Leave a bookmark there or your finger there or something. I'm going to leave... I'm going to leave a finger there so I can get back there quick. Romans chapter 10. Romans incredible letter of Paul to the Roman church. Romans chapter 9 is all about what God has done for us. Romans chapter 10 is all about how we respond to what God has done for us. It's all about hearing and responding to the gospel. And we get there and what you see in verses 14 and 15 is an incredible passage of scripture. It's all about the response of man, Gentiles and Jews. A Gentile is simply a non-Jew. And their response to God and the response to the offer that he gives to us all. And it says these words. These are great words, but they're also a little troubling. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. A lot of people see this passage of scripture and their minds immediately go to missionaries who are in some far off country or nation or civilization bringing the gospel and I guess you could apply it that way or maybe it goes to those people like Billy Graham you know those guys who get up there who, who earn a living and, and all that's their vocations what they do is they preach the gospel and I say oh I appreciate those people no that's not referring to them it's referring to every follower of Jesus we are all preachers of the gospel How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Where are we taking the gospel? All right, let's continue on. Verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield, the Roman shield at this point in time. Now, a couple centuries earlier, they had one of those little small round shields that went on their kind of their forearm, all right? A couple centuries after when this was written, they kind of went back to a similar shield to that. But in that day, in Paul's day and in that time, the shield looked much different. And the Romans, probably looking back, if they could do it over, they probably would have never left that shield behind, okay? And this shield, it it actually, the the Roman, or the Greek word for that shield was thyrion, and was very, very closely related to the Greek word for door, thyra. What it was, was a very big shield. It was made in a rectangle, pretty good size, okay? And this shield could not only be used as a personal thing of a personal item of defense for a soldier but you take a number of soldiers put them together plant those shields on the ground and you just have made a portable wall okay this is a very important part of the roman army i'm not sure why in the world they left it behind but that's, that's history for you okay so the shield was interesting i mean because you couldn't make it of some heavy metal i mean the thing was big it had a wooden frame and it was made up of oxide, not oxide, not rust, all right? It was made up of oxide. Some of these shields, up to seven layers of it. This is kind of interesting, a little bit, little bit of piece of history for you. If, if, the, if, the, 
if the army commander, the general, the centurions, the lieutenants, whoever they might have been at the time, if they knew, if they knew that the opposing, the opposition, the enemy, before the battle had access to fire for their arrows, what do you think they did with those shields before the battle? They dipped them in water. You hold the shield up, the arrow hits it, harmlessly goes out. It was an incredibly powerful protective tool within the Roman army. And Paul makes this distinction. The shield of faith. Of all the things that protect the Christian, why did he pick faith as the shield? Why faith? What is so important about faith? There was nothing in the soldier's armor that was more important for protection than that shield. And there is nothing in the life of the believer more important than the protection offered in faith. Do you remember what I've told you many, many times you can do most of the time in the New Testament when you see the word faith? Now, not all the time, but the vast majority of the time. When you see faith in your New Testament, you can mark it out. Now, don't do it. Faith's a good word, all right? But you could write in trust. You can write in Trust. The primary defense for the soldier of God is his or her trust in their commander. Has there ever been a commander like God? A commander in chief like God? He knows the outcomes before the battles even take place. The victory is already won. Why? Because of God. Is there anyone else worthy of our trust like that? And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. We know this from experience. We all do. There are tough days in this world. There are days when we are attacked by the forces of evil and oppressed. We are. And there are other days that just stink. It's just the nature of the world that we live in. And some days just stink. They're not good. They're not fun. In the midst of all of those days... God is there, and his promises stand, and he is oh so worthy of our trust. The shield of faith. And man, the next one follows up so well. Look as we wrap this up in verse 17. And he says this, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, the Roman helmet, you've probably seen it depicted and where our minds most often go with the Roman helmet, even the little Martian in the Looney Tunes had one of those Roman helmets. You remember the little Martian running around? You know, had the little Roman helmet. You may think of that thing right across the middle. It looked like a mohawk, all right? I don't know why that was there. There probably was some purpose of it. But I will tell you this. The Roman helmet was made of bronze. It could be carried. It probably wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world. But it also had, it had Elvis sideburns, all right? I think they were for looks. They were actually for protection. These plates that came down the cheeks. And then there was, I mean, you football players out there, almost like a chin strap that would, that would connect that connect those. Now, in, in battle, they would have the helmet on, but these things were not comfortable. They didn't wear them all the time. They would connect that chin strap, throw them um, over another strap, and throw them over their back as they marched from, from battle to battle, or if they were in camp. They would keep it close, but they didn't wear it all the time. When they put it on, when they put that helmet on, it meant they were preparing for battle that was at hand. And Paul takes that crucial piece 
of the Roman armor and he applies this to it, the helmet for us, the helmet of salvation. Guys, understand something. We battle for the Lord. We're fighting in a war. As I've already told you, it's already won. It's already won. There is nothing the enemy can do to deny a soldier that reality. Nothing. These forces, as powerful as they can be, they cannot separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, which is in, with love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 7. So, we've talked for a time now about the defensive side of it. But at some point, you got to go on the offense, all right? College football is here. Oh, my goodness. K-State looked pretty good yesterday. Didn't look too bad. Go out there and you know, show, the, show the pack, whatever they are, pack 16, 12, 40, I'm not sure, um, are out there, what it's all about. Uh, what about CCC last night? Weren't supposed to win that game. No, but they did. All right, very, very nice. All right. Um, uh, OU. <laughs> One, barely, against Tulane. <laughs> They're probably a little better in Kansas. Kansas won. I'm talking about Tulane being better in Kansas. Obviously, Oklahoma is much better than Kansas, all right? But guys, we should probably have a time of prayer or something because this will be the only time the whole year Kansas wins. So it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, I've heard it said many, many times, because I am a sports fan, I've heard it said that defense wins championships. Really? I mean, it might be important. But at some point, that defense has to be on the sideline and somebody else has to step up on the field. At some point, the ball's got to move in the other direction, okay? So the offense is somewhat important. And you know something? God, at some point, needs his army to go on the offensive. At some point. It's not just standing guard all of the time. And as we wrap up the armor portion of this, this is where Paul leaves us. He says, take the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Roman sword, it was not like the, um, it was not like the swords of other armies. The other, the other swords, like, and I wasn't the Grecian sword. I can't remember which one it was. But the sword that we're most familiar with in all the movies and stuff that's like, good grief, as long as a person. I mean, it's crazy, all right? That's not what the Roman army used. They used a different type of sword. You might recognize a little bit from its Greek name. It was, it was the Meshira. All right, sound anything maybe like a machete or anything like that? It was a short, double-edged sword. It was very, very sharp, and it was, it was made and intended for one purpose, very, very close, hand-to-hand combat. And it is the only weapon in all of this armor of God, it's the only weapon mentioned by Paul. He said it's the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. We pray it all the time before we jump into God's word on Sunday morning. We did it again today, asking God to use his two gifts to us, his word and his spirit, because they are so vitally connected. 
okay? What we hold in our hands right now gets its source of power from the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives this word its cutting edge. Jesus prophesied all of this when he was in that upper room with his closest followers, his disciples, and what the Spirit would do. It says, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Now, this word thing is a little interesting, guys. So listen really closely here, just for a second. The word, word, <laughs> is used a lot in the New Testament. I mean, a bunch of times. And the vast majority of the time, if you were to look at it in, in like a Strong's Concordance or something like that, what you're going to see is that you, you, you see the word, and then you see the Greek representation of that word in the form of a number. And you go to the back of your concordance, and from that number, you will find the Greek word that stands behind that word. And the word behind almost all of the uses of word in our New Testament is logos. Logos. It means a lot of different things. It means written word. It means word that is spoken. It means a lot of different things. And if you were to look in a concordance, the, I mean, of the hundreds of times word is used in the New Testament, the vast majority of the time, it's logos. Right here, it's not. There's only a few times, I can count on two hands, that a different word in the Greek is used. And the word is called rhema. Rhema. And it means spoken word, exclusively. Paul uses this for a reason. Do not let this fly over our heads. Paul puts the emphasis on God's people speaking his word. Do you want to do battle with the enemy? The enemy that you cannot see. The enemy that is incredibly powerful in this world. The enemy of spiritual forces of darkness that are moving people in this world all around without them even realizing it. Satan does the vast majority of his work, not in some occult or some satanic ritual type of stuff. No, he likes to be in the background doing the work and he's fine with nobody realizing he's even there. You want to do battle with that word or that world? You take the word of God to that world. Preach the word. There is no more effective assault on the realm of Satan than the powerful message of hope found in Jesus Christ. The demons tremble. At the name of Jesus. Paul doesn't mention it, but there's one more weapon of the soldier of God. There is. It's not mentioned right here, but it's mentioned elsewhere. Mentioned by Jesus himself. That, that just ties right in there with that, with that spoken word. And what's the best weapon to fight darkness with? Light. All right, JB, sorry I did this first service. You weren't here, so you didn't get embarrassed. You're here now. You can leave if you want. It's going to be embarrassing for you. I'm sorry. I'm not even talking about OU.
JB and Jen have been here at Deering for going on about 15 years. And God has blessed this church through them. I want us all, I know we're aware of that. I know we are. But, but I, I want you to, to understand how that sort of thing takes place. It's not just something that's said. It's something, it's palpable, it happens. And a perfect example of that took place yesterday. Yesterday we had a service right here in this building. Um, services are never easy. Uh, Damon Coy's dad passed away. He was in a car wreck about a month and a half ago. And um, kind of in, in and out in the battle of trying to, and he, he, he didn't come out of it. He ended up dying about a week ago. And uh, we had the service um, right here yesterday. Um, JB was right there in the sound booth. I was, I was here. Um, and, and man, I'll tell you what, a lot of people here needed, needed to hear that spoken word. And, and so we, we talked a lot about, about Ronnie's life, but we also talked about Jesus and how hope is found in Jesus alone. Now life is too short to, to not to get to know Jesus. Everything was, was wrapping up. A lot of family and friends were still out there outside the building visiting and talking, which is good. It's good, you know. And uh, man, JB and I, we got here early. I mean, this is, this is a Saturday. I mean, Saturday... I mean, it's September, people. On Saturday, I'm supposed to be out in the woods getting ready for deer season, all right? I mean, that's I'm watching football, all right? So, so long about 12, but it's what you do. It's, it's what you do, and it's, it's okay. It's okay. So we get along about 12 o'clock, and I'm pooped. I mean, I'm tired. And you know what JB, that weasel, says to me? He says, hey, across the street, um, new owner of the diner over there, he's painting. And I feel convicted that I need to get over there and help him. I felt convicted to go home, and that's what I did. <laughs> I talked to JV, and I said, so how long did you paint yesterday? Oh, about six hours. Why do you do that? Because I know for a fact, JB comes into contact with every person he comes into contact with, and he has this assumption in the back of his mind. I don't know why they're at with Jesus, but I'm just going to assume that they need more Jesus in their life. That's just an assumption I'm going to make every time. And whatever I got to do to put myself in a position to speak Jesus to them, I'm going to do it. You know what that's called? It's called being a light. It's called being kingdom-minded and being an army, being a soldier in the army of God. We take light. And you know what light does? Light takes that sword of the spirit and it adds so much effectiveness to it. It's time for us to evaluate. We're approaching our time of communion, folks. Anytime we come to communion, it's time to do some personal evaluation as well as some big time thanking God for what he's done for us. The evaluation is going to look a little bit like this today. Am I actively opposing the darkness in this world? Because there's a lot of darkness in this world. Am I opposing it? How?
And I'm not talking about going and protesting anything, okay? I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for that. There are probably times and places for that. But what I'm talking about is this, shining a light in those places of darkness. How am I posing darkness in my home, in my school, young people? In my place of work, older people. At Walmart, because if we're not at school or Walmart, we're at our school at work, we're at Walmart, right? Goodness. Everywhere we go. How do we oppose the darkness? We oppose the darkness, first of all, by protecting ourselves from it, by and through Jesus Christ. But also by speaking the word of truth. Maybe this is the question. Maybe this is the question we need to ask ourselves. First of all, if you are a baptized believer, this time is for you. Communion is for you. We have an open communion. If that's you, you don't have to be a church member here or anything. This is open to you. We're family. And we come and we thank God for changing our lives. We thank Him. We thank Jesus that by his blood we are righteous before God. And then we ask ourselves this question today. Is Jesus changing lives through me? Just like JB said, we're not the ones doing the saving. It's Jesus who does that, but Jesus works through his people. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Honestly ask ourselves, is Jesus changing people's lives through me?